In our Christian culture, where boundaries are shamed as hate, codependency is glorified as love, and entitlement is disguised as faith. It's no wonder that so many Christians find themselves in toxic, ungodly relationships for fear of disappointing God, simply for setting boundaries. But do we have it all wrong? Are boundaries actually something that God not only supports, but encourages his people to have? Or did God create you to be a doormat? In today's video, I'm going to share with you 10 scriptures that clearly show that God wants you to have boundaries, and you will never again have an issue saying no after you see this. And I want you to pay particularly close attention to number 10, because it might surprise you. I have been teaching on biblical boundaries for a very long time, and I am encouraged by the countless messages from people that it has been helping, but I frequently get blasted in email or on social media for teaching such an unbiblical concept. And people say, how dare you encourage people to hate others? They'll say that you're turning your, their children away from their mothers. They'll say that, doesn't Jesus tell us to turn the other cheek? And a whole host of other culturally acceptable, but completely unbiblical teachings about how we are to love others. And I found that there are two types of people that don't like teachings on boundaries. Number one is those who've never really needed them and just don't get it. They don't understand why you would have to put limits on some certain people. And number two, those who are boundary stompers and they want free reign to wreak havoc in your life. And yes, as Christians, we are taught to turn the other cheek, bear one another's burdens, forgive, love others, but does this mean that we should allow others to use us as doormats and wet naps? Boundaries also help us to keep our desires in check so they don't rule our lives. So if you have someone in your life right now telling you that you are a substandard Christian because you are not willing to tolerate toxic behavior, today I want to give you 10 scriptures that clearly show that God means business when it comes to boundaries. Number one. Galatians 6, 5, for each one will have to bear his own load. According to some, we are to help everyone with everything, and Galatians 6, 2 does tell us that we are to bear one another's burdens. But there's a difference between a burden and a load. A burden is something that is too heavy for a person to carry themselves. A load does not become a burden simply because someone else doesn't want to carry it and feels that it's your job to do it. Carrying the load of someone else can actually lead to enabling. Number two, 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? According to some, you should love everyone equally. But God says to avoid partnership with these people. Now, I'm not saying that as Christians, we're not allowed to be in friendship or acquaintance with unbelievers. I mean, how else would we get the opportunity to share the gospel? However, this is a clear boundary on who you should and shouldn't be in deep relationship with. Number three, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Well, this one doesn't go over well in our entitled society where everyone is believed to deserve some form of a handout. I mean, we have handouts for people who are perfectly capable of paying, praying, and persevering their way through a tough time. But instead, our government provides 
handouts. And this completely contradicts scripture. So no, not all giving is good. Certainly not when it enables dysfunctional behavior all in the name of help. Now I am not talking about helping people truly in need. The Bible speaks of helping the widows and the orphans and the lame, but for everyone else, God has a work order, not an entitlement program. Number four, Matthew 12, 48. Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? This passage of scripture doesn't give a direct command to set limits, but it is a shining example of how Jesus set boundaries. In Matthew 12, 46 through 50, it tells us that while Jesus was speaking to the crowd, someone told him that his mother and brothers were outside wanting to speak with him. And Jesus didn't respond to their beck and call. He didn't have a oh, family first motto, not from an earthly standpoint anyway, but rather he kept right on teaching and he honored the purpose for which he was sent and described his mother and brothers as anyone who does the will of his father. And according to some, blood is thicker than water and family trumps everything, but there are numerous families in the Bible that do not show that as God's command. And I'm not saying that you you don't care for others in your household that are in need, but I am saying that family doesn't get to trample your boundaries simply because they hold a title. Number five, Proverbs 22:24. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man. So here's a classic example of boundaries in relationships. While some would say that we are to love others and uh, put up with them so as to be a light for Jesus, this scripture is telling us you are to not even be friends with this type of person. Number six, Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not sin. And some would have you to believe that your anger is a sin, that if you get angry at their toxic behavior, you're now the problem. See, look at you because of your anger. But the truth is the Bible never says not to be angry. It says, don't sin in your anger. And anger is an emotion just like sadness and joy that would indicate a problem. And without the anger, how would we know that something's wrong? Even Psalm 103.8 says that the Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. It says he's slow to anger, not no to anger. Number seven, Titus 3.10. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. This scripture certainly obliterates the misconception that true loving Christians are to endure until the very end. Number eight. Proverbs 27, five, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Oh, my friend, in our world of phony smiles and fake how do you do's, it's no wonder that we recoil at the first sign of correction and accountability. But how else are we supposed to grow? Scripture is clear that we are not to judge the world. That's God's job. But as for our fellow brothers and sisters in the faith, we are to be open to give and receive biblical correction when needed, speaking the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15, so that we may all grow in maturity. Number nine, Matthew 10.16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents, and innocent as doves. 
Jesus was sending out his disciples and warning them of the persecution that he would they would endure from men. He did not encourage them to fight for themselves or take vengeance, but he did give them a solemn warning of how some people would be. And you may ask, well, shouldn't we see the good in others? Well, yes, of course. But if you see a wolf and treat it as a sheep, my friend, you're going to get slaughtered. And number 10. Mark 3, 7 through 35. In this passage of scripture, the news uh, spread about Jesus and all of his miracles and the crowd started pressing in on him and and his disciples. But instead of doing what many think that Jesus should do, stick around for every single person who needs him, because if he doesn't, well, then he must not care. The boundary comes in, in verse 9, where he commanded his disciples to have the boat ready so that he could leave when the crowd started to ask too much of him. It's a far cry from what others would expect Jesus to do, or I should say what others believe that Jesus should do. Yes, we are to love one another. We are to bear one another's burdens, forgive and help those in need, but that does not mean that we need to encourage others to continue to tolerate toxic evil behavior all in the name of Christianity. And throughout the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, you see countless examples of God setting limits with us or teaching his people how to set limits with others. I mean, think about it. Technically, every command not to sin is a boundary. And God is not some passive parent. He sets boundaries, and he expects us to as well. Boundaries are biblical. So the question is, will you live your life according to some who have distorted and dysfunctional views of boundaries, or are you going to follow God? Let me know in the comments below. Do you want to learn how to set biblical boundaries with toxic family? Go ahead and check out my new online course called Biblical Boundaries with Toxic Family. We'll go ahead and include a link in the description section below. And if you're wondering why the boundaries that you're trying to set aren't working, go ahead and check out this episode right here. A few months ago, I launched a series on biblical boundaries, and these videos were met with welcome arms and the thank yous were flooding in. But it wasn't too long until I was inundated with one disheartened message after another. Their boundaries weren't working. What went wrong? Was my advice off? Are are there just certain people that are immune to boundaries? Well, let's find out. Because in this video, I'm going to be addressing the panic and the frustration by talking about five reasons that your boundaries aren't working and what you can do about it. Welcome back, my friend, to another edition of the Building Faith Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Reese, and it is my mission, as always, to provide you with biblical solutions to life's tough challenges. You don't understand. Boundaries don't work with my mother. You just don't get it. My husband, I will not tolerate boundaries. My friend, I hear this remark all the time. Maybe it's a manipulative mother, an obnoxious boss, or a whoever it is that you've likely reached your breaking point and you realize that you need boundaries. You finally realize I need boundaries with this person. So you set out with apprehension in one hand and some disgust in the other, and you declare your no only to get met with a barrage of reactions ranging from rage to the silent treatment. What went wrong? And maybe you're thinking that boundaries are hopeless. 
Boundaries are necessary in every relationship. Yes, even healthy ones. Even Jesus had boundaries. So before you give in and give up, let's talk about five reasons that your boundaries aren't working and what we can do to fix them. Number one, your boundaries are to get others to change. The purpose of boundaries are to protect you. Whether the protection is for your physical body, your mental health, or your emotional well-being, boundaries are for you. And while boundaries can include a request for someone else to change, they can't be dependent upon it. For example, maybe your sister is super disrespectful of your time and she feels that she can just contact you anytime she wants, day or night. Instead of telling your sister to stop texting you all hours of the night, tell her that you will be turning your phone off and you will get back to her when you're available. And one requires that she change in order for you to have peace, and the other takes matters into your own hands. Now, be careful that your boundaries aren't dependent on someone else changing for you, as this will still leave you powerless. Number two, your boundaries are extreme. If I had a nickel for every fed up woman that said, that's it, I'm putting up boundaries, I'm divorcing him. My friend, I'd be a really rich woman. Look, I get it. It's likely that you've tolerated toxic behavior for a long time, and now you've had enough. The problem may also be that you should have been setting biblical boundaries all along, and since you didn't, now that problem festered. No, 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 be careful. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that this is your fault and that this person is behaving badly because of you, nor am I encouraging you to stay in the cases of abuse. But in regular relationships where you just can't take it anymore, it's unreasonable to expect the other person to understand when there's been no clear, direct communication all along. And you might be saying, oh, Chris, I've been telling him for years. I get it. You've been telling him, but you haven't laid down a boundary to protect your mental and emotional health, have you? Have you put the parameters in place to guard your heart? In the case of a marriage, maybe hubby struggles with pornography and you've just been begging and threatening to go to counseling and maybe you yell and cry and you scream and you threaten him, but you never take action. Instead of filing for divorce, a more appropriate boundary would be to say that we will be separating if we don't go to counseling. Now, I'm not telling you to separate. I'm just giving this as an example. And many would view this maybe as a manipulative threat. It's not. It's actually a biblical approach to bring healing and change. In 1 Corinthians 5, 1, we're told of a story where they demanded that the son who was sleeping with his stepmother was asked to leave the church. And the hope was to bring him to repentance and change, not in some manipulative manner, but in a godly approach for repentance and restoration. And he did. Number three, your boundaries are reactive. Blocking someone's number one minute only to block them the next three days later says that you react on emotion rather than principle. A reactive person will set ultimatums and punishments disguised as boundaries. And this is typically the case when you just can't take it anymore. But like discipline, boundaries should be done in peace and with a calm mindset, not in anger or angst, unless, of course, you're in immediate danger, of course. And boundaries should be consistent and persistent, not flaky. They shouldn't be based upon someone's short-term actions, but rather long-term behaviors. For example, if you know 
that your friend always takes advantage of you. You know the type, you know what I'm talking about, the one who takes a mile when you give an inch. Then a good boundary would be to not give her things unless you are positive that you won't care when she takes advantage. But many will go by some, I don't know, good feeling in the moment. I just feel so good and I want to bless this person. And then when the person acts the way that they've always acted, you find yourself frustrated and victimized. And then you react with an extreme boundary only to let this person back in when your emotions have cooled down. My friend, don't let momentary good moods cause you to back down your boundaries. And don't let a momentary reaction cause you to create boundaries that you're not willing to keep. All this teaches the other person is that you react emotionally and your boundaries aren't serious. And number four, your boundaries are weak. Sometimes people may respond to your boundaries with anger. They will let you know directly or indirectly that they don't like your boundaries and they're not going to respect them. However, just because others don't agree with your boundaries doesn't mean that your boundaries aren't working. It doesn't mean that your boundaries are wrong or that you even need to change them. And many people will adjust to your new boundaries if you continue to set them consistently. If you give in only to set a boundary when it's easy, people will realize that they can get their way by pushing on you. Kind of sounds like a child nagging their parents for a treat at the line at the grocery store. My friend, hold firm. And remember, you don't owe anyone an explanation for your boundary. Instead of saying, oh, I can't help with the bake sale this time because my schedule has been so hectic and hubby's been working so overtime and little Timmy has a project due and I just can't seem to find enough time in the day. My friend, you're really trying to justify your no so that the other person gets it. Usually so you can feel okay about disappointing someone. Well, the problem with over-explaining is that it leaves room for the other person to invalidate your reason. The truth is there's just no one's business why you need to say no. Simply say, I'm sorry, I can't help with the bake sale this time, period. And number five, your boundaries have no consequences. If a burglar broke into your home, you would call the police, wouldn't you? And this burglar would then suffer the consequence of crossing your boundary by getting arrested. Unfortunately, if your boundaries have no consequences, it's the equivalent of getting really, 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 really upset and yelling and screaming at the burglar and threatening and then letting him go, hoping he'll never do it again. Your boundaries must have consequences. There's a scripture that tells us those who don't work, don't eat. That is a consequence. Somebody doesn't want to work and earn their keep. They're not going to eat. The sister in our first example who texts you all hours of the night, you tell her that you're turning off your phone. And in some cases, she may get the message and respect your boundary, but she might not. So now your sister starts banging on your front door and that's the point where you would say, oh, see, my boundaries don't work. My sister's not respecting my boundaries. No, it's that your sister is testing your boundaries like most boundary stompers do. So when she starts banging on your door, you simply ask her to stop. And if she doesn't, kindly let her know that you will be calling the police and then do it. Many would say, oh, no, no, I can't do that. She's my sister. And therein lies the problem. As you can see, boundaries, my friend, are complex and fluid. 
In fact, there are 10 scriptures that prove that God didn't create you to be a doormat to someone. To learn those, go ahead and watch this episode right here. And if you need help setting boundaries with toxic family, I want to invite you to check out my new course called Biblical Boundaries with Toxic Family. We'll go ahead and include a link in the description section below. Are you suffering at the hands of a narcissist? Do you often wonder, what would Jesus do? Well, in today's video, we're gonna talk about how Jesus handled narcissists. Well, hey, my friend, in case we haven't met yet, my name is Chris Reese, and if you are looking for biblical solutions to life's tough challenges, go ahead and click that subscribe and notification button so you don't miss a thing. When asked, most people, even Christians would say that Jesus's main qualities were meekness and mildness, and someone who taught us to turn the other cheek when evil is perpetuated against us. But would Jesus understand that we have narcissists today that wreak havoc in our lives? Well, the answer is yes. And narcissism may be the catchphrase of the day, but it is nothing new. Self-centered, egotistical, evil people have been around since the beginning of creation. And Jesus did not mean that we are to let people do whatever they want to us. Rather, we should say that God will handle it. But while you're waiting, let's take a look at how Jesus handled narcissists in the moment. Number one, he ignored them. Narcissists have a way of creating drama everywhere they go, whether it's the attention-seeking overt narcissist or the woe-is-me covert narcissist. There's always drama that points the attention to them. And the Pharisees were a classic example of narcissism at its finest. With their pious attitude and their constant correcting, the Pharisees were always looking to stir up trouble to criticize Jesus. Well, isn't that just like a narcissist to go out of their way to point out your flaws to make themselves look good? And the same thing happened to Jesus in Matthew 9, starting in verse 10. And Jesus was reclining at the table in the house. Many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. You see, Jesus didn't take the bait. The Pharisees were trying to create a smear campaign, and Jesus chose to ignore them. Instead, he focused on his mission. Number two, he called them out. You think Jesus always had kind words to say? <laughs> think again. The Pharisees were a hypocritical bunch that Jesus took several opportunities to call out. And one of my favorites is found in Matthew 23, starting in verse 29. And he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Narcissists are classic scoffers and judges. They love to appear superior to others. So remember, the narcissist is all about the image. So you want to be like Jesus? When the time is right, don't hesitate to call out narcissistic behavior. Just be careful. Because we often think that because we call something out, then that means it's going to change. 
it often didn't for Jesus, and it likely won't for us either. Number three, he cut them off. Jesus was not opposed to going no contact. And I have to imagine for as many people as Jesus helped, there were several more that he just walked away from for many reasons. And he even taught this mindset to his disciples. Join with me again in Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 12. And Jesus was preparing to send out the 12 disciples, giving them, an, giving them the authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease. And here's what he said. As you enter the home, give your greeting. If the house is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Verse 16, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. But you may be asking, what about prayer? Didn't Jesus tell us to pray for our enemies? He sure did. But here's where I want you to be careful. If you struggle with any form of codependency, it's likely that you continue to try to love the narcissist. But in reality, you're simply perpetuating the evil they're causing. 1 John 5.16 is clear when it says, if you see a brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. So when referring to the sin that leads to death, the Bible is referring to the sin that a person is willfully and habitually continuing in. Narcissists rarely show any genuine repentance, so be careful for how you are loving and even praying for this person. It is possible, my friend, to live in peace. Don't let the narcissist distract you from your purpose. Call out their evil behaviors, cut off the relationship when necessary, and you too can live in peace. Are you struggling with a narcissist or any type of toxic person in your life? Well, I want to invite you to grab our free Toxic People Survival Guide. I'll go ahead and include a link in the description section below. And perhaps you're looking for more, more help in learning how to identify and deal with these difficult people. I want to encourage you to jump on over to our website. I will go ahead and include a link in the description section below. There in the student section, you will find several courses, several on how to deal with toxic people. And one, we have a workshop that is coming up on how to heal from a toxic mother. My aim is to help you restore your life through faith. So I'll go ahead and include a link in the description section below for those courses. Well, my friend, that's all the time that we have for today. Until next time, remember, all things are possible with God. Thank you for watching Christian Life TV. Remember to subscribe and hit the notification bell. Also, help us to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and build believers all around the world. Make a one-time donation or become a monthly partner with Chris Reese Ministries by clicking on the donate link now.